1: Today is Tuesday, May 1st, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 261, featuring Mass Live's Tom Westerholm and Jessica Camerato from NBC Sports Philadelphia, is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Go to MackWeldon.com and use the promo code CELTICS for 20% off your first order. This show is also brought to you by Hims. My listeners get a special trial month. Of hymns for just five dollars today while supplies last. Just go to fourhymns.com slash CLNS. See website for full details. My goodness, that was fun, wasn't it? Game one Celtics win 117-101 against the Sixers and now they lead the conference semifinals 1-0 with a long but fun series ahead. This is Celtics Beat. I'm Adam Kaufman and look, I'm, I'm actually glad that this show is coming to you when it is versus just prior to game one when it would have been a game seven recap and looking ahead in full to the series. Because that you know, that show, it might have been a little more stressful and a little less positive because I would have told you I have the Sixers in six and my heart would like to say Celtics in seven, but I don't quite think they'll get it done. But we wouldn't have had the optimism that game one delivered us by getting to see what we did on Monday night. You know, it's only one game. Celtics shot 17 of 35 from three-point range. The Sixers made only five of their threes. Seas are not going to shoot that well from three every game. They're not going to defend the perimeter as well every single game. But I'm at a point. Of course, no Kyrie Irving. Of course, no Gordon Hayward. Of course, Daniel Tice. But no Jalen Brown for that first game either. That means the Celtics were down for this game on short rest coming off of that Game 7 win against the Bucks. They were down 60% of their opening night starting lineup. 60% and still went out and just absolutely throttled the Sixers. It's only one game, like I said. But I don't even really know what the Celtics team is capable of anymore. It's so much fun to watch. And to me, I'm not going to go crazy here. I'm not really going to spend any time on this. But the East, to me, is so wide open. I don't think, you know, we're not talking about the Warriors or the Rockets here. The Cavaliers are far from unbeatable. You saw what the Pacers just did stretching them to seven, and they could have lost that series. The Raptors are not unbeatable, and now those two teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit. Sixers, while better than the Bucks and better than the Celtics, are absolutely a beatable team. And so are those other teams that the Celtics would hope to play next in the conference finals. So, just something to think about. It's not me being a total homer. It's a fact. Celtics could could reach the NBA Finals. They'd get killed there. They would stand no chance whatsoever against the Warriors or Rockets. But the fact that they could even get there with the staff that they have right now, and I say this, you know, after Game 1, who the hell knows what the next couple of games are going to look like. Maybe the tone of this conversation totally changes. But right now, riding a high, everyone playing the way they are, Brad Stevens coaching the way he is, it's possible. And I just love... I love, I mean, I love this rivalry. I love these two cities going head to head. I love that it's the 20th playoff series meeting between the season sixers, that the Celts have obviously won 12 of those. They've won three in a row going back to 1985 in a rivalry that has seen the likes of, of Russell and Chamberlain and Bird and Irving and McHale and Greer and Cousy and Cunningham. The fact that we now can include Horford, Tatum, Rozier, Embiid, Simmons and and maybe look some of those are going to drop off this is one game and Brown maybe he thrusts himself into that conversation but it's it's just it's nice to have another chapter and I just I like the chip I like the chip the boulder-sized chip that is on the Celtics shoulder you know Matt Moore had a tweet after game one said it's amazing that the Celtics signed Gordon Hayward traded for Kyrie Irving and they still get to play the scrappy no one believes in us card something to behold really It, it really is in fact Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, they're not shying away from it. No matter who on the, who on the court, we will coach. Our coaches hold us accountable for taking care of business, and uh, you know, we hold each other accountable, and that's the most important thing. That's why we don't never feed into the negative, negative things that go around What people say, uh, we got each other, and um, no matter who out there, we're we going to play hard, and we're going we gonna to pay attention to details and, and take care of business.
2: You know, we're down a lot of people, guys, and people think we're weak think we're not as strong of a team because we don't have certain players, you know, but uh, we're all professionals. We've all been here and uh, we all work and you know we all got the same goal in mind and that's to win so you know regardless of who we don't have and who we have we're gonna go out there and play
1: if you haven't been checking out the clns youtube page during the playoffs for all of the post-game content practice content videos of these guys i mean Hours of sound from your favorite Celtics and the visiting team, the bucks in the last round the sixers now you should subscribe. you should do that because there is just i mean more content than you can handle it It does a a good job of filling long car rides for me so i'm uh, I'm very appreciative of that but uh, game one. Terry Rozier, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, they combined for 83 points on 63% shooting, 59% from three, 94% from the free throw line for that, quote-unquote, new big three. Now, that is not going to maintain. It's not. You know, guys like that, some of them are going to have down games. feels like Al Horford's never going to have a down game again. His last two playoff games, Game 7 and then Game 1, 52 points on 23 of 29 shooting. Anybody wants to mock that contract, please. Come at me. I would love to chat with you because Average Al is all-star Al in its best possible form right now. He has been great. And Tatum, this is now at least 20 points in three of his last four games. The twenty eight, the most in a playoff game since Larry Bird going back to 1980 among Celtics rookies. He is only getting better as time moves along. But look, I, I could go on and on and on. Maybe you want me to. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But here's what I do want to do couple of things. One, I want to remind you, subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes to Celtics Beat or Stitcher or follow me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman, wherever it is that you should happen to find this show. Subscribe because new episodes, they're going to be coming at you as evidence today on a Tuesday at Weird Times. Won't always be the Sunday that obviously you've been used to in the past. Won't even necessarily be a Thursday like we've done a whole bunch over the last couple of months. It will be at weird times. So subscribe, get the notifications for new episodes. That's the best way to do it. Again, iTunes, Stitcher, or just follow me on Twitter. I will tweet them out constantly, and you can, uh, in addition to that, make sure you leave us ratings if you feel so kind or or comments. We always appreciate it. The other thing that we're going to do, rather than me just continuing to monologue, is... We had a couple of guests lined up, as you heard earlier, Tom Westerholm and Jessica Camerato. Okay, they will get each side, Celtics and Sixers. Although Jess has experience covering the seas as well, but let's dive right into it. Let's go to the Celtics side. Let's bring in Tom Westerholm. Does an awesome job covering the seas for Mass Live. Tom, it's not going to be this easy, is it? I mean, we could have seen Gino late in the game, but the Garden scoreboard operator, I guess, decided not to be disrespectful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe game one isn't the game where you want to be disrespectful right away, especially <laughs> because the team is talented as the Sixers. Um, you know, you can save that for a little later in the series. But, yeah, no, I can't imagine that it will be this easy the rest of the way. The You know, the Sixers missed a lot of shots. They usually hit. The Celtics defended really well, which they always do. But, I mean, you know, Brett Brown said after the game, you know, the Sixers had um, a terrible game, and some of that was because of the Celtics' defense. Like, he gave the Celtics a lot of credit, but I think... Everybody kind of agrees that, like, Reddick isn't going to miss all his threes, Covington isn't going to miss all his threes, they have a lot of shooters who missed a lot of shots, but Celtics kind of made it happen, too. I mean, the Celtics played a great game.
1: All right, I want to expand on, on some of that stuff defensively, especially, but entering the series, I mean, Sixers, they were heavily favored, I, I guess maybe they still are, it depends on how you look at it and whether you want to read all the Vegas odds and all that, but I had Philly in six if I remove the green rim goggles that otherwise told me Celtics in seven, but... What was your prediction going in and has it changed after game one?
0: So my prediction was uh, Sixers and Six as well. That's kind of the safe prediction because the Sixers are favored and they should be. They're very healthy. The Celtics aren't healthy. Um, and obviously, you know, a road team, uh, you know, that you think is going to win, Six is usually a pretty good pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think my prediction changes yet. Uh, I think if the Celtics win on Thursday as well, and we'll see how they look on Thursday – um, If they win that game, then yeah, I mean, everything kind of flips, but you can't really overreact to a game one. If you're picking the Celtics in six, then, or the Sixers in six, then you're picking the Celtics to win a game. And it's not unreasonable, you know, a couple of games, and it's not unreasonable for one of them to be game one. Um, but, you know, it, it goes beyond just the win. You know, the Celtics looked great. They looked, Jason Tatum looked awesome. Terry Rozier looked awesome. Al Horford just, I mean, that guy just steps up and does everything the Celtics ask of him. So, um, you know, I think you have to take all of that into consideration, too, which is why I'm wavering a little bit. But I, I'm sticking with Sixers and Six right now. Um, you know, and willing to be mocked later if the Celtics, uh, you know, take this thing.
1: Well, I'll tell you what—that new big three that you just mentioned that nobody was anticipating. (laughs) Let's—I mean, let's go guy by guy. Average Al to some became assertive Al in the playoffs, just like last year, for that matter. He's been elite in three out of the last four games. He's been exploiting matchups. You know, he's finding himself obviously in the right position, but also taking advantage of it. Now, to me, he has to keep doing this to win this series, but will he?
0: Yeah, I mean, so you mentioned that last year in the playoffs he was really good, and he he really was. And I think, you know, I think a lot of times what what gets lost for people is that Horford really does just do what is required of him. You know, if the, you know, if the Celtics have Kyrie Irving and you know, I mean, presumably next year Gordon Hayward, it won't be like Al won't have to score 26 points a game. And maybe there will be a game where Kyrie's off and Hayward's off, and you know, Horford isn't in the kind of score 26 points. Mode And maybe then he'll have one of those games that makes everybody disappointed, like, you know, 11 and 6 and 4 or whatever. Um, But during the playoffs, he's locked in. He's ready to go. He's, you know, he he, and especially in these playoffs, he is, you know, one of the real focal points. He knows that. And he's come out and just proved it every single night that he's ready to go, that he's ready to, like you said, exploit the mismatches. And the Celtics do a great job of running sets that get him those mismatches and, you know, get him Marco Bellinelli in the post, who he just crushed last night. Um, So I I do think so. I mean, the the Sixers have players who the Celtics can target, you know, throughout their lineup. And I think Horford is one of the most logical guys to, you know, to to be the the guy targeting that matchup. I, I I could definitely see him, you know, continuing to be, really good as the series progresses.
1: It really is remarkable the, the degree to which Horford is just such a Swiss army knife. I mean, like you said, he'll yeah. he'll do whatever it is that is required of him. And when you say it like that, it can almost come off in a, a negative way, like he's doing the bare minimum or something like that. And obviously, that's not how you mean it. It's not how any of us mean it. The guy just, yep. he, he responds to whatever challenge, whatever task, whatever order is put in front of him. Is it Kind of amazing to you, especially after this stretch of games, that his importance is is still seemingly just so underappreciated?
0: It really is. I mean, especially, you know, games like last night. I mean, you can look at his stat line and say, you know, again, 26 points. He You know, he rebounded. He passed. But you also have to look at the other end where his matchup was Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons has been amazing over the last few weeks. Like, he has really blossomed into a star. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, this guy's a top-20 player already, and I don't know that that's ridiculous. Like, he's been really, really good. And Horford just made it tough for him. You know, defensively, he can really match up with those kind of guys. And Simmons is really strong, so when he puts his shoulder down, he can, you know, knock a lot of people backward, but he can't knock out Horford backward. And Horford, you know, moves his feet, finds the angles so well. I I don't understand why people don't, uh, you know, appreciate that a little more. Maybe it's because it's not the flashy stuff. You know, maybe it's because – Tatum does things smoother. Rozier is, you know, just crossing everybody over. You know, maybe it's, you know, that that Kyrie and his flashier guys, you know, maybe he's just kind of boring to people, but he's – He's really good. He's a really good basketball player.
1: Well, a guy that uh, everybody appreciates, Brett Brown, I mean, fond over the guy entering the series, and uh, yeah. really everybody loves him except for Eric Bledsoe, that's Terry Rozier. He was unconscious <laughs> in Game 1 after a terrific Game 7 as well against the Bucks, which is almost so easy to forget now just with the recency bias of this first game against the Sixers, but he seems to be motivated almost by his own pettiness with all of that Bledsoe stuff (laughs) and and showing up in the Drew Bledsoe jersey and and Bledsoe on the scoreboard in game seven and Bledsoe's tweets obviously after uh the the game one and just the excitement over the jersey he's he's as confident as he has been all year but is that sustainable
0: uh you know it's tough to I would say that his making seven three-pointers in a game probably (laughs) isn't sustainable you know like that's that, but that part might go down a little bit, but I mean, look, the guy's been great at home uh, and that's just kind of, that has been sustainable throughout the playoffs so far. I mean, obviously we only have five game sample size, but he's been great at home and I would expect him to continue to be good at home. I would not be surprised at all. If he still struggles a little bit on the road, he's, you know, still a young guy. If you kind of look back through his career, this is the first time in his three year career that he has, you know, been entrusted with minutes like this and with a role like this in the past, you know, during the playoffs, he was like a spot shooter, basically, who could get offensive rebounds as a guard and who, who could defend pretty well. And now he's, you know, trying to, be, trying to be Kyrie Irving. He's trying to be that facilitator, that, you know, that scorer off the dribble out of the pick and roll. And, you know, that's, that's, a, tall, that's a tall order um, for a guy, you know, who's basically in his first year of that role. But he's playing great. I, I could definitely see him continue to be good at, at home. Obviously so much of it revolves around his shot. Uh, You know, if his three-pointer is falling, he's really hard to guard because you have to come out and cover that, and then he can blow by you. So um, as long as he's still making that shot, you know, I guess a lot of it is sustainable as long as you're not expecting, you know, 80% three-point shooting. But everything else, he's been, you know, pretty consistently good.
1: Well, and, and big picture on Rozier for a moment. And it, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to believe it, right? And and Terry Rozier, I'm sure in his head, has always believed that he was capable of doing what he's doing right now. But he didn't know it until Kyrie Irving went down. He was inserted into the starting lineup. And now he has gone through the experiences where he has shown not only himself and the team and the staff and, and the whole freaking NBA what it is that he can do and that he can be one day a, a true bona fide starting point guard in this league, hell, maybe he could be that next year for another team. Yep. He's to his credit; he's always been deferential, meaning he knows his place. He knows that clearly, Kyrie Irving is a better player than him, and that there's there's no debate there in terms of who starts when both are healthy. But is it going to be difficult for him to go back to the bench after this run next year?
0: You know, and like you said, it's not a referendum on him at all. He's been very deferential. I think it has to be, and and that's not you know a negative. You know, on him, he's just played so well. You know, he just looks so good out there. And you know, for a guy who, you know, he knows. (laughs) Like you can tell that he knows. You can tell that he's enjoying himself. You can tell that he's starting to get really confident. I mean, he had had that one dribble move in the first half where he, you know, split multiple defenders behind his back and then lobbed it to Marcus Morris a one handed dunk. Like that's not something that a guy who, you know, thinks that he belongs on the bench is, is. It pulls off. That just requires a ton of confidence, a ton of. You know, just like just kind of swagger, and that's really important for a point guard to have that, and he does. So, you know, I I think that if you know putting him back on the bench, it would it would be tough. It it would be, I think he would know that it wasn't a demotion because it's it's Kyrie Irving coming back, but I I can't see how he would not. I don't want to say chafe at it because I don't think he would be a problem in the locker room. I just think he knows that he. Is a starter in the NBA, and he's a you know a really good point guard. And I think guys like that, it's just it just it has to be tough to go back to the bench. I, I think that that would be, yeah.
1: Well, and look, I, I've spent a lot of time on this on these shows, so I won't spend a lot of time on it right now. But I'm among those. I don't know if it's a small group, big group, whatever. But I'm convinced that Marcus Smart's going to be resigned. Terry Rozier's going to be traded anyway. So maybe yeah. you know maybe just maybe he's going to find his wish somewhere else as it pans out.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm I've been a part of that group too. I. I will admit that I'm wavering a little bit as a part of that group just because he has been so good. And I, I don't know what it would look like if they did keep him. And I think sure. that's the biggest thing that, you know, you, that you have to keep coming back to if, if you, you know, really want him to stick around is, you know, okay, so what are you paying him? Um, you know, how does all of that work when Jalen and, and Jason come up with their extensions, but, at the same time, it's it's tough to argue with the results. The guy is winning playoff games against really good playoff teams.
1: We'll get right back to the show in a sec. First, I want to tell you today's episode is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and elegant fabrics. They were sick and tired of walking into department stores and trying to buy socks, underwear, undershirts, and not getting the consistent results so they started their own company. Mack Weldon products will be the most comfortable you try on. They believe that so much that if you order your first pair of underwear and don't like it, MacWeldon will refund your money, but you can keep the underwear because otherwise that would be gross. But they believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I mean, me—I've spent hours on that Mack Weldon website. I've told you about it in the past because it's not just the undershirts, the socks, the underwear. They have. All sorts of great stuff that I, I'm having trouble choosing what it is I would like to bring home. There's swim trunks. There's shorts. There's pants that you can sleep in. There's travel gear, a backpack that I, I always rave about. This It has a built-in charger for your phone. If you're someone like me whose phone battery dies, it feels like almost instantly. How about having it on the go without actually being plugged into something, you know, a wall outlet? That would be terrific. MacWeldon's better than what you're wearing right now. Just is. So, what are you waiting for? Log on to MacWeldon.com today. Use my promo code Celtics for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 20% off your first order on MacWeldon.com by entering my promo code Celtics. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, well obviously we've mentioned Jason Tatum a couple of times and you know, you talk about the Terry Rozier swagger. This is a guy who's got a lot of swagger as well, except you know, what I like to call sort of more of a uh, a court swagger, a game swagger because in in general life in interviews and and the walking in like he'd never pulled the Drew Bledsoe jersey move, not not as a a yeah. 20-year-old. He doesn't he's not at that point. But how much are you enjoying this rookie battle right now?
0: Oh, it's so much fun. You know, these the these two guys are are just so unbelievably good and polished and beyond their years, you know, I think the the not-a-rookie chance for Ben Simmons were, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I would almost call him ill-advised just because...
1: You Don't know, piss he, the guy off. Like,
0: that's, the, that, that's the whole problem with, like, the, the Donovan Mitchell sweatshirt and everything. He, yeah. he is a rookie. Um, And, you know, and it, honestly, it, isn't it kind of a compliment to be like, hey, your rookie doesn't play like a rookie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, neither does Tatum. Like, Tatum just goes out there and he just... You know, every single game he just evolves something else and brings something else out. He had a crossover on, I think it was on Bellinelli last night, where he just like snatched it back from him, and it, it was, it was just a disgusting move that got him a layup. He's, man, these these two guys are going to be so much fun for so many years to come, and it's, it's kind of cool that we get in their first year in this budding rivalry, we get to see them for you know however many games this series goes. It's. That's, that's that's kind of special. It's going to be really fun.
1: Well, and Tatum does seem to be kind of quietly relishing in the fact that he is, by all definitions, a true rookie, and the fans yeah. are giving Ben Simmons crap.
0: Yeah, I, you know, Tatum is the quietest dude. He he will not. He's not going to drop anything, you know, crazy for the media or anything like that. I mean, he was asked. He was literally asked point blank last night. Do you think you're a better rookie than Ben Simmons? Which, like, of <laughs> course he wasn't going to answer, but he said, you know, no comment. But he just kind of smiled a little bit, like, I do think he's loving this. He, I think he knows how, you know, dominant he would have been as a rookie on a team that just asked him to score mm-hmm. all season. It was just like, here, go out there, develop, get your, get your reps in. And maybe he'll be better as a result of being on the Celtics and of, you know, playing within a Brad Stevens system getting all that development from their excellent player development staff. I think all that's very possible. But he would have had a better rookie of the year case somewhere else because he's just that good. But doesn't it
1: have to mean more when you're doing it in an environment like this where it wasn't expected of you and and you're thrust into that situation?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he could have
1: gone and had a a great rookie year for a team that won 35 games, but to to be a, a fixture, a starter, and... Uh, obviously, continuing to put up the numbers that he does on a team that won fifty five and is now playing in the second round that has to mean more to him
0: i i would imagine so it would you know i i think that i i think that if 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 anything bothers him, i suspect that it's that people don't understand that um how important that is and and you know the rookie of the year always goes by counting stats it feels like so mm. i i think um you know i'm sure this is what he would prefer like he he certainly loves to be in boston he's you know, said it multiple times, and he's, he's said, you know, how much he appreciates what Stevens has been able to do in terms of putting him in a great position. And the Celtics really trust him. I mean, look, Jalen Brown was a number three pick last year, and he sat on the bench for, you know, a lot of the season. He only played, you know, however many, 15, 20 minutes a game. And Tatum was starting on opening night. Even when Gordon Hayward was healthy, Tatum was a starter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he definitely appreciates the opportunity that Boston is giving him. And, you know, obviously Boston appreciates him quite a bit,
1: too. Yeah, probably still owes Marcus Morris a dinner for that, for uh, not being <laughs> healthy with the, yeah. uh, the knee or something. But uh, just a little bit more on Tatum before we move on. He's gone for 20-plus in three of four. He's consistent. He's aggressive. He seems to be setting new NBA and sees rookie playoff records nightly. And basically, yeah. as the stage gets bigger, he gets better. So ignoring the moment, what does all that tell you about his future? I mean,
0: it's really tough to project at this point. The
1: one thing, the one, and it's a very
0: small point of caution, but the one point of caution I would always like give Celtics fans is we expected Tatum to be this good. You know, you coming out of college, everybody was saying, look, this guy's polished. This guy's going to be, like, good right away. Um, you know, don't know what his floor is, don't know his, what his ceiling is, but he's, you know, he will be a talented player right away. So that was always, you know, at least somewhat expected.
1: I don't but not, know but, not th- but not this quickly, because exactly. he, he wasn't exactly. going to be, you know, coming in, we thought, well, maybe he'll play, like Brown last year, 17 minutes a game, something like that, not in excess of 30 and starting every single night.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. Like, people expected him to be polished, nobody expected him to be starting on a team that, you know, is up one nothing in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And for him to not only be starting, but to be the featured scorer and, you know, the probably you know i don't know if he's the best scorer with with Horford out there but he's you know one of the top 2 or 3 for sure um and he and he's the guy that they're going to in mismatches to just attack the other teams you know weaker defenders so that that is really special i think in terms of his development there's there's a lot he can still do i mean think about how good he would be if he just didn't lose the ball sometimes on his drives you know that and that's going to come you know with being an nba player that's going to come with you know added added comfort added strength you know as he adds strength he's going to get better and better I, I don't know what his ceiling looks like. He could be. I mean, he he will be an all star um, for a lot of years. That's th- there's not really any question about that at this point. Um, and I think you know, I think there's some uh, some optimism you know around you know around everybody that he could be a you know the the next you know franchise star like he, he's that good. He's you know just really showing at this point in his young career that 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 is where his ceiling is at. So you know he can. He can just do everything. I don't I and we keep seeing more and more every single game. All of a sudden he's a pick and roll player now. Like I don't know when that started, but yeah, he's he's
1: he's special. See, this is how I can tell you don't want to go like full talking head mode because by now we would have heard untouchable and future MVP, <laughs> better career than Paul Pierce. Uh, yeah, you know, the, it's, uh, it, but, and look, I've parroted some of that stuff as well because I just, I'm that big a believer in the guy, but it, it, it all boils down to he is just a, it, we haven't had a rookie like Jason Tatum around here since Paul Pierce. And so, yeah. you know, you factor in that that it's been 20 years and now we get to see a guy taking on this much responsibility this quickly. It's a lot of fun to watch. That's, that's basically the simplest way to put it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's always more fun for fans to have their guy you know i mean that was that was what made paul pierce so special is you know he he was boston's guy like that, so that i think that's always big um you know I, i'm i'm always hesitant to throw around untouchable because you know you don't know what's going to happen with anthony davis and i you know i don't think that you can pass on a chance to trade for anthony davis if it comes available and you you know you don't know what's going to happen down the road but he's you know he's as close to untouchable <laughs> as a rookie can possibly be and that is incredibly high praise because you don't know what a rookie is going to do his second year, his third year, but you kind of know with Tatum. Like You, you know this guy's going to be awesome.
1: All right, let's go back to game one because the, uh, the defining stats really were the numbers from three. Boston hit 17 three-pointers, Philadelphia only five. Thing is, that's not realistic. You know, neither total. Right. Water tends to find its <laughs> levels. So that in mind, did the Seas steal one effectively or did their desire to run guys off the three systematically kind of create a possible trend that we might see going forward?
0: I definitely don't think it's going to be as easy for Philly to, you know, get their threes as it was against Miami. The Celtics' defense is just really good. And the the thing about the Celtics that a lot of people, you know, kind of underrate is just how big they are. Like, they play really big lineups a lot of the time, and that affects your shooters because if you're tall and you have long arms and you close out – you know, you can get away with an extra step one direction or the other, you know, away from the player so that when you close out, you're still high enough to, to, to make the shot t- difficult. So especially if Jalen Brown comes back and we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, especially if he comes back, it's tougher to score against the Celtics. It, it, it just is. I think, you know, water will find its level. Like you said, J.J. Redick isn't going to continue to miss. He's one, he's one of the greatest shooters of all time. Um, they've got shooters all over the floor and just the you know the gravity that Ben Simmons has when he drives those guys are going to get some looks and you know they got some looks you know last night that just didn't fall so that will happen but I do think you know like Brett Brown said there's uh, some of that was the Celtics and I think if you're the Sixers that has to be a little concerning because you can't just expect water to find his level you have to you have to deal with this Celtics defense that is a lot better than the defense that you faced earlier in the playoffs
1: Are the C's content to just kind of let Joel Embiid do his thing, force Ben Simmons into passing situations, and then defend those shooters like we're talking about?
0: It kind of seems that way. I mean, you know, Embiid got his, and the Celtics won by double digits. I think, you know, and the interesting thing about it, too, is that, like, okay, if Embiid scores a lot, most of those are two-pointers, and the Celtics can counter that on the other end. You know, obviously, it becomes a math problem where three is worth more than two, and, you know Simmons can can really hurt you. He can, you know, especially if he gets going, especially if he starts to to really get rolling past your your you know your defenders, and that opens up everything for everybody else. But yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of think they are. I, I kind of think that at least until Embiid proves that he can win a game by himself in this series, you know, and, and at least until the Sixers prove that that particular strategy isn't going to work, it seems. It, you know, it's it's a pretty good one. You know, if, if every basket that Embiid scores is a two and the three-point shooters are, are well covered, maybe you just let Aaron Baines do what he can. And, you know, Baines does a good job against MB. MB, you know, can still roast him and can still get 30 points and can still do all this stuff. But, you know, Baines is strong enough to at least make it tough enough that he's not going to just roll to the basket every single time.
1: So you brought up Jalen Brown. Celts used an eight-man rotation in game one. No weak links. I mean, everybody was good. Is that going to expand to nine with Brown back, or do you think Brad Stevens finds a way to keep things tighter?
0: I think that if, when Jalen comes back, we could see a little bit less Shane Larkin. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the Celtics have ball hammers that, you know, can get away with, you know, maybe not using him as much because, you know, he's a guy where you have to start talking about defensively, he's such a pest, but on three-point shooters, he can't have that length to close out on a guy. You know, he has to be right up in there if he's he's guarding a a three-point shooter. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw his minutes cut, you know, somewhat to to make room for Jalen, obviously. Um, and you know, we'll see how available Jalen is. It's possible that he'll be on some kind of a minutes restriction. Cause, mm-hmm. You know, his hamstring injury is somewhat concerning as far as re-injury. You, you know, you you don't necessarily want to risk it. Um, but yeah, I would. Uh, so I would say that I would expect it to continue to be around eight people. Uh, maybe you want. Maybe if you want to say like eight and a half, um, mm-hmm. and you know, lock in still just some minutes because he does bring a lot of energy and he pressures the ball really well. And obviously, he had a couple of a couple of big shots last night. So. Wouldn't be surprised if he continued to play a little bit, but I do think that he might be the casualty.
1: So Brown said after the game he expects to play in Game 2, and like you said, we don't know officially, but he intends to be back anyway, but he is dealing with that hamstring strain. So minutes restriction, that's a possibility, as you alluded to, but he's not going to be 100%. That's clear. I mean, one thing that Brown said that I think is really telling is that, you know, he's basically trying to return from a two-week injury in a couple of days. So what should we expect from him?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the thing to keep in mind is that Brown also said that he was going to be, he he kind of, he didn't necessarily say it outright, but he sort of hinted that he would be ready for game one. Too. Right. So um, some of it is going to be on the training staff to, to, make, to make a really good recommendation there. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what to expect from him. He looked so, you know, he looked like he was in a lot of pain when he suffered that injury in game seven. He looked like he was, he came out, he came back out at halftime and tried to run sideline to sideline. So, The last, you know, memory that I have of watching him is just kind of watching him hobble and, you know, really try to work through this pain that wasn't going to be worked through. So, um, I, you know, obviously you can, you can still use him. Obviously, you can still use the guy who can fly around and defend multiple positions. Um, you can still use the guy who's hitting 40% of his three pointers. But, you know, it'll be, it'll be, what it'll be really interesting will be to see how much limited athleticism affects him because he's not going to have the full explosion. He's not going to have the full side to side lateral movement. He's not going to have that stuff. So, and that's, that's really important to his game. So if he can still be effective, you know, that'll, that'll speak volumes for how skilled he is as well as his athleticism. But, you know, I, I think that having expectations of him coming out and still scoring, you know, 20 points per game, like he's been doing in the playoffs and still, you know, defending the other teams, you know, best wing or best guard, that that might be a, a tall order for, uh, you know, a guy who's got a grade one hamstring strain.
1: So we've seen one game. It was a great one. Going forward, what's the key to a series upset here?
0: I think, it, you know, it's the Celtics played kind of the perfect game for these upsets. They need big games from Rozier, Horford, and Tatum, you know, especially with Jalen out, and they need to defend the three-point line really well. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, it comes back to that math problem where Simmons and Embiid are really, really special Uh, But both of them largely score two-pointers. And you can beat a team that is scoring mostly two-pointers. You can't beat a team that is killing you inside and then also spraying the ball out to J.J. Redick and to Marco Bellinelli and to Dario Saric and to Robert Covington. There's a lot of shooters on this team. So basically the Celtics just have to play that game again. And they don't have to play the perfect game like they did in game one, but they have to follow that formula. They have to follow that mold. And if they do, they legitimately could win this series. Um, But that's going to require a pretty superhuman effort from from Rozier and Tatum and Horford and then you know from the defense as well
1: well we'll end on this and it's uh you know I'd prefer to end on a high note but we're not going to do that because one thing that uh, (laughs) I I think you're kind of you know famous for in your writing or your likes and dislikes pieces there have to be things from game one that you didn't like I'm I'm certain rebounding has to be on that list what's sort of in the negative column here what should we be weary of going forward
0: yeah, I mean obviously it's a completely different game as far as rebounding the the Bucks were the worst rebounding team in the league um during the you know and the, the Sixers are not. They've got a lot of size, they got a lot of athleticism. They're the best. So, yeah, that that's going to be tough. Um you know, I, other than that, like legitimately looking at that game, I don't know besides the potential regression to the mean, I don't know how much there is to dislike for the Celtics. They you know, hit their threes, defended the three-point shooters. I think the biggest thing to, to keep an eye on is going to be Redick, um, because that guy can be just a killer if if you let him get going, and Smart did a great job on him, everybody who guarded him did a great job, I just don't think there's any way the Celtics continue to shut him down like that, and again, you know, when the th- threes start falling for the Sixers, they become a completely different team, so we will we'll see about that, I think that he's going to be kind of the key to the series going forward um, I'm not going to call it a dislike, because again, they defended him really well, but it's just really tough to defend a guy that good, you know, that well for, uh, you know, five, six, seven-game
1: series. All right. Well, he still thinks Sixers and Six, but he can't wait for the opportunity to change his mind if things go well on Thursday. <laughs> Tom Westerholm, Mass Live. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. All right, well, we've heard the Boston perspective, so let's get the Philadelphia perspective probably not quite as happy after game one as Celtics fans are. Jess Camarotto, who used to cover the Celtics, now does a great job covering the Sixers. She's a Sixers insider for NBC Sports Philadelphia and an old friend of mine. Jess, how are you?
2: Good. How are you?
1: Well, I'm good. I'm feeling especially good because the Celtics took game one, which is what we want around here and way back in the day, what you would have been rooting for as well. Here's the thing. Celtics, I mean, they really couldn't have played much better in game one. Could the Sixers have been much worse?
2: Uh, probably not in a lot of ways. You know, it was too extreme. It was, as you mentioned, the Celtics playing at such a high level. And then the Sixers looked rusty after having such a long layoff from their last game against the miami heat and what happened with the sixers was uncharacteristic of what had got them to their point when i look to this point when i look at this game i see five for 26 from three-point shooting mm-hmm. but more so only 17 points combined from the bench marco bellinelli and ursan Ilyasova have been such a key part of why they've been able to play so well so when you only get 17 points from your bench combined with the fact that Tatum, Horford, and Terry Rozier had absolute incredible offensive games. It was just two extremes versus each other.
1: Well, and so that's the thing. We'll, we'll go back to the three-point shooting, but the depth that you just mentioned, those secondary pieces. Milwaukee, of course, Boston's last matchup, that that team proved to have very little depth in terms of anyone who was a real threat after Giannis Attentacompo and Chris Middleton. But Philadelphia, just those secondary guys, after Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, lit up Miami. I think an average of 83 points per game in that five-game series. So outside of J.J. Redick, who got his to a certain degree in Game 1, he had 20 points. They were really quiet in the opener, as you said. So what do you attribute it to? Well,
2: there's a few things that could be going on. I mean, as we talked about just a second ago, the rest. Uh, look, if nobody wants to play... Fifty-five days in a row, but hmm. they had such a long time that practices are different than actually playing in games. And you're doing it on the road, and you're doing it in a really dominating home court. So there were the things were already stacked, stacked up against the Sixers in that regard. But they really have to focus in on those three guys that I mentioned: Horford, Tatum, and Terry Rogier. And those are all players that were on their radar. Their names that have been mentioned leading up to this game in practices and things like that. So it's no surprise. It's not like some random person just exploded off the Celtics bench and did a lot of damage. Those are players that they've been game planning for. So in between game one and two, they have two days to make adjustments. And you know they're going to make adjustments. And a lot of it they're going to say, well, you know, if they hadn't shot five for 26 or it was in the second quarter they, shot, uh, they made only one three-pointer, there are things that you can point to, but collectively – They have to figure out ways to be able to stop the Celtics' offense, which Brett Brown going into this had said their offense is just so clever because they can score in so many different ways.
1: Where was Robert Covington? Are we sure he played in that game?
2: You know, Robert Covington is a player that comes up uh, a lot from Sixers fans as well. Covington was 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. The Sixers play him It's not just because of the offense, it's for his defense so covington is has not been this player who every night is going to be like that same, you know, same consistent player. He does have his ups and downs, but it's his defense that keeps him in the starting lineup and a valuable piece to the Sixers and he's the kind of guy three points in game 1, he could have, you know, 20 points in game 2. That's kind of the, that's kind of covs game.
1: One more break. Want to tell you that today's Celtics beat brought to you by Hims. Hims is a brand new wellness brand for men. Guys, how many of you are scared of hair loss? I'd guess a lot of you are, considering 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. How many friends do you know whose hairline is starting to trend in the wrong direction? Are you that person? Because by the time you or your friend notice that hair loss is becoming a problem, it's too late. Stop procrastinating and stop turning to weird hair loss solutions. Hims is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. The best part about HIMSS is they connect you with real doctors to treat your hair loss with actual medical-grade solutions. We're not talking about concoctions you make at home. We're talking about prescription solutions backed by science. Just go to 4 right now. Sign up is easy. Just answer a few quick questions, and a doctor will be assigned to you. Products are shipped directly to your door. You don't have to wait in line for hours. Let hymns Come to you, and my listeners get a special trial month of hymns for just five dollars today, while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost you hundreds of dollars if you went to your local pharmacy. Just use my promo code. Go to fourhymns.com/clns. That's fourhymns.com/clns. All right, back to the show looking at some of the different pieces before getting to the contending with the Celtics side, Joel Embiid, he was effective, but did he seem at all frustrated to you by the way that Boston defended him?
2: Uh, no, if, if you look at what frustrates Joel Embiid at this point in time, it's really his mask. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: but he looks Embiid, great.
2: Yeah, it's, it's the, you know, the phantom of the process. He, <laughs> has, he, he still has 31 points and 13 rebounds. I've said Embiid could have you know he could be blindfolded he's just that big of a talent and he could still put up those numbers I did notice him at times you know trying to draw Aaron Baines away from the basket whether the Sixers try to play more in the paint maybe draw some foul trouble that remains to be seen but it's kind of that's the thing with Joel Embiid it's like well once he frustrated by a defense and he still goes off and scores 31 points
1: Ben Simmons he accumulated numbers in game one really didn't do a lot though it was kind of a good not great situation obviously he had the seven turnovers was he in his head at all especially with all the not a rookie chants that were going on
2: (laughs) I asked him if he had heard those and he said that yes he did hear them and he didn't care Ben for being as young as he is for being a rookie in the NBA even though a lot of people don't think he (laughs) is actually a rookie he is uh Ben is so calm and so composed. So he just doesn't let things get to him. He doesn't hold on to things. He shakes it off and moves on to the next game. The thing with Ben is he's capable of, he's, he, he can just put up a triple double whenever he wants. And he actually came close to that with 18, seven and six, but it is the seven turnovers to me. When I look at his box scores, it always stand out to me. It's as the point guard, how. How accurate are you? How efficient are you? So the turnovers are going to be something that the Sixers crack down on because as a team, they only had 12. So when seven of them come from your point guard, that's something that they'll have to look at.
1: Why is he... Even if he says it doesn't bother him, which I find, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, you do, but I, I just find a very hard time believing that, given that, you know, listening to some of his quotes in the past or the whole back and forth with Donovan Mitchell, obviously, his his chief contender for that Rookie of the Year award. Why is he so obsessed with being considered a rookie? I mean, he seems defensive about it.
2: Uh, it's not like this is something that he's been making a case for all year. I mean, he's, it, it's when it came up that it became a thing. I mean, he isn't the person that brought all of this up. It's not like he came in wearing a T-shirt that said, hello, my name is Ben Simmons, and I'm a rookie, in case you didn't know. Or a sweatshirt
1: with the definition of rookie on it.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Ben's approach is more just like, I'm going to go out there and play my game. People can do what they want. They can wear what they want. They can say what they want. Until the NBA decides that Ben is not a rookie, and, and they recategorize him or they make new criteria of if you are just simply drafted, then you're not a rookie, what's he supposed to do? Be like, well, oh, okay, I'm not going to be eligible for this award even though I actually didn't play a regular season game last year and I fit all of the criteria. He's a rookie by rookie rules, So it is going to be so interesting to see how this all plays out when that voting is decided because that's just like you thought the playoffs were fun. Wait till that voting is announced.
1: Well but doesn't it seem like he it, regardless I guess of what maybe he said I and mean, some of the comments have been or, or exhibited to me at least that he does seem to genuinely care whether he gets this particular honor to me it, and I was just talking with uh, Tom Westerholm from Mass Live we were joking about it a little bit and and he made the the point that you know isn't it kind of a a compliment that that people say you're a rookie but you don't play like a rookie I mean it it, it you could almost look at it and say that he's um I don't know, a, a little maybe too concerned, even if he's not losing sleep over it, a little too concerned with this specific accolade when, in fact, it, it doesn't matter at all, really.
2: It doesn't matter. And he's, he's made it clear that he would much rather win games than be named Rookie of the Year. I mean, Ben's vision line for his career is so far beyond whatever he's going to accomplish in year one. Ben is a player who... You know, all-star selection up to all-star selection. If he continues to expand his offensive game, I mean, who knows where Ben's career is going to take him. A Rookie of the Year award, he really wants to win it more for Embiid and Sarich when they didn't get it last year and Brogdon did. Mm -hmm. That's really what his motivation has been. So if he gets it, cool. If he doesn't, life is going to go on. Same for him and Donovan Mitchell. Both of those guys have such bright futures in the NBA that maybe this matters right now and Uh, May, June of 2018, but we're going to look back on both of their careers and be like, did it really matter? No, they're going to be accomplishing, both of them are going to be accomplishing so much more than this.
1: I'm glad you brought up the expanding his offensive game because to me, and and I come at this particular issue from the mind that I'll just never understand just as as a basketball fan, and, and you certainly are too, how it is that guys have trouble shooting free throws, let alone... You know, having uh, like like guys like Shaq, the the fact that that aspect of his game, it's still all these years drives me crazy or or guards, especially someone like Arajan Rondo, who can't, you know, couldn't hit a free throw if 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 the net was the size of a hula hoop. For whatever reason, there are just those those stigmas that certain guys have. And I watch this team player or, or certain members of this team play. And it it's sort of just as a fan boggles my mind that we're out there seeing. Joel Embiid hitting threes every once in a while, and Ben Simmons literally didn't make one all season long. Not that he took a zillion of them, but the fact that he has not made one, it feels like that should be an aspect of his game by now.
2: It's not, and that's because it hasn't been a focus for the Sixers. That that was not on their radar. Developing his three-point shot his rookie season, that's not a focal point for them. They're more concerned about him being a point guard, uh, and all of the responsibilities that come with that, the defensive aspects of that as well, the, as we talked about, assist to turnover ratios, heels, things like that, rebounding. It's funny in the NBA because, and it, it does go back to a player like Rajan Rondo, who both, is, you know, both you and I have watched hundreds of hours of his game. <laughs> a player can put up a triple-double. They can have as many assists as they want, but if they're not hitting threes, if they're not hitting... You know, long-range jumpers, then it's a knock on their game. And so, when this whole rookie of the year voting come up, and, and take away the whether or not Ben's a rookie or not. if you look sure. at scoring, right, people will say, well Donovan Mitchell scores more points. For me, if you're going to put a point guard into that situation, which is what we're talking about, I feel like they should be credited also them for the assists that they contribute to. You know, maybe you're not scoring 20 points a game, but if you have 10 assists a game, that's 20 points that you're that you're contributing to. So everybody's game is different. The three-point shot is not a focal point for Ben Simmons right now. It is something that he does work on and practice. But the way that the roster is designed is to surround him with shooters. That is a very, uh, you know, directed effort by the Sixers. Well, Goelka guys like Ersan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli, so that the pressure is not on Ben Simmons to be that offensive guy. He can just be the facilitator.
1: Sounds like you certainly believe Ben Simmons should be the rookie of the year.
2: I do. I do. And I you know, watching this player go start to whatever the end of the season will be, just the way from day one that he just handled himself with, has handled himself with confidence. Some of the the games when he goes up against tougher opponents, the way that he just isn't shaken by any of it. I mean, just being around in the locker room and at practices and things like that, being around his demeanor gives you uh, insight and an appreciation into really his potential. So, yeah, he doesn't score as many points as Donovan Mitchell. And no, he doesn't knock down three point shots, but he does so many other things to change the game. He's such a unique player. And because there's no set criteria for this award, it's not like they're like, well, this person has more points or this person has more rebounds. It's really up to opinion in a lot of ways. And that's why it's going to be really interesting to see what people consider to be the most valuable assets that a player brings.
1: Well, and much the same as he's unique, your experience is unique because obviously you cover him and and you're around that team and him every day and and closer to the situation than the majority of people who do vote for the award. Do you think that and it's difficult to answer this question, I suppose, because your reality is your reality. But do you think if you didn't have that insider experience there, you know, you're off covering the Pelicans or something like that, do you think you would still believe he's the rookie of the year?
2: It's hard to say because I am in the situation that I'm in. I, I understand how people who aren't around it every single day could just start to compare numbers or things like that. But I've got to tell you, too, I think also having covered Rondo for as long as I did, I maybe have a different kind of appreciation for what a point guard can do and how beneficial a point guard can be if they're not the quote-unquote traditional scoring point guard.
1: Makes sense. All right, let's go back to the series for a little bit here. What's the most difficult thing that the Sixers are are contending with right now outside of, as you alluded to already, just trying to find a way to make sure that Horford, Rozier, and and Tatum don't all replicate what they just did in Game 1?
2: But one thing that Brett Brown has said is they're going to have to find ways to score. So, take as you just said, take what the Celtics did, their offense. The Sixers need to get more guys going in this game. You mentioned J.J. Reddick still got 20 points, but he shot two for seven from three. They need more consistency from guys like him and Bellinelli and Iliasova. They didn't go as deep into their bench as they had been doing. So, we'll see if there's any adjustments there. But the Sixers just need to get back to playing Sixers basketball. It looked like the Celtics were playing their style of basketball. And any time that you have to start playing catch-up to an opponent, that's not going to work well in your favor. They were able to beat the Heat because they played Sixers basketball throughout the whole series. So now it's a matter of taking back the pace, taking back the tempo, and, and taking back the way that they want this game played.
1: Some of those, I guess, are, are some of the adjustments clearly that Brett Brown can make. Do you think we'll see any rotation changes, minutes changes in, in terms of the more featured players on this squad?
2: I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, who specifically it would be. Uh, that remains to be seen, but they made a lot of adjustments in the first round when they put Ursun Ilyasova, started him at center, when they put Justin Anderson kind of out of nowhere on Dwayne Wade. He hadn't played in a while, so... Brett Brown has always maintained that rotations are fluid, lineups are fluid, the whole team has a stay ready mentality because you never know, you know, Mayor Johnson played under five minutes, maybe he'll play ten. Same with T J. McConnell, something like that. They constructed their roster and so that you can have so many different looks. So guys know that game one is not going to be the same as game two in terms of what their roles may be
1: so uh, you know this you've known me long enough and I, I like to have fun I like to have a good time I certainly can be a homer on Twitter but in in life I don't think I'm a homer and I had the sixers in six going into this series what was your prediction and uh, also has it changed after seeing one game
2: my prediction going into this was also sixers and six I think that the sixers can still pull this one out whether it's six or seven you know I'm not really sure if you know at the end of the day however whoever Whichever team wins, doesn't really matter how many games it took to get there. <laughs> That's fair. But uh, as we talked about, so many things went right for the Celtics. So many things did not go right for the Sixers. This is, uh, I've just seen them play much, much better basketball than this. And uh, you have to think that with these two days in between games, they'll be able to make adjustments. Because this was not the same Sixers team that beat the Heat.
1: And you can- know, was- oh, go ahead.
2: No, it was it was just this was not the style of basketball that they had been playing to this point.
1: Anything you're overreacting to from game one?
2: Uh, I don't know if it's an overreaction. It's more just an acknowledgment of the fact that Rozier, Horford, and Tatum can cause absolute havoc hmm. when they want to. Um, so I don't think it's an overreaction. When you look at the numbers, it's just like, yeah, that's a fact. Those uh, those guys can be very, very daunting offensively and Again, the Sixers knew this going into the series. Those were guys that they had been targeting.
1: All right. Well, Jessica Camerato does a great job covering the Sixers, a Sixers insider for NBC Sports Philadelphia. And uh, with any luck, we'll have a fun, entertaining series. Because, Jess, I mean, if if all goes well, and certainly on paper, that's how we read certain things, it looks like we're going to have plenty more of these matchups in the playoffs in years to come.
2: I think so, yes. Many years to come when people are no longer rookies.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jess, thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Thanks again to Jess. Thanks, obviously, to Tom. You know, we uh, normally I would take Twitter questions right now. thing is we've run super long with the two guests, and uh, I, I want to let you on with your day. So we'll do more of those next week when this series moves along, other great stuff planned, and hopefully we're talking about a series that the Celtics are still out in front in. Once again, episode 261 is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Go to MackWeldon.com. Use the promo code Celtics for 20% off your first order. It's also brought to you by Hymns. My listeners get a special trial month of Hymns for just $5 today. While supplies last, just go to 4 slash CLNS. See website for full details. Okay. Thanks to Nick, thanks to Larry, to Evan, to everyone at CLNS Media. Again, subscribe on iTunes to the shows or Stitcher or follow me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman. Please, if you like the shows and you want more, we're thinking about expanding. Who knows? It's possible. Leave ratings, leave reviews on iTunes. They make a big difference no matter how silly that may sound. Again, subscribe. We're going to be all over the map with the schedule. That'll do it for me. I'm Adam Kaufman. Thanks to you. Thanks to Gino, who we should have seen two games in a row before the final buzzer but you know what let's let's just be polite still the playoffs